Plan Marcus, how's the trade going? Yo, Big Sean, all good over here. <laughs> How are you doing? Going good. My trade's going good as always. That is that would be the stacking and hodling of the Bitcoin. Uh, so just to let everybody know this is Bitcoiners Guide, episode eight. We're your host, Big Sean Harris and Plan Marcus. This is the show that we wish we would have had when we first started learning about Bitcoin. So what? You know, we made one for you. If you're first learning or if you are, uh, you know, getting a refresher on on the same old topics that you want to hear about, uh, this is the place to be. It's the place to listen about Bitcoin. And, uh, and maybe we can help you either get orange pilled or help orange pill a friend of yours. So uh, let's... Sean. Yes. My wife the other day is like, what is orange pilling? Uh-huh. <laughs> what did you tell her? Did you get, did, did you, I, did you tell her the real orange pill or did you tell her the, a little fun, a little fun loving orange pill? The one you were talking about. <laughs> I, she was, she just pointed out to me that I, that we needed to be more aware of uh, using all this uh, gibberish jargon uh, insider <laughs> insider speak terms that none of the normies understand so i thought i'd pay more attention to it okay i don't even know what a normie is so we gotta we gotta stop there <laughs> <laughs> a uh, orange pill just means uh when you've when you've done that hundred to thousand hours of studying what bitcoin is and you realize that that is the only option. There's a guy named Bitcoin Tina, and Tina stands for there is no alternative. And uh, that's how I look at what orange pilling is. When you finally realize, oh wow, the dollar is fraying, uh, and Bitcoin, there is no other option. Not stocks, not bonds, not real estate, not even gold. The gold bugs would make you believe we're going to go back to gold. Uh, but that makes no sense because that just ends up back in fiat. So when you realize that Bitcoin is the only option, then you're fully orange pilled. Is that a good explanation? Sure. <laughs> well said. Maybe it's too much. All right. <laughs> Timestamp and price stamp. Currently, it is 11.02 on a Monday evening in the beautiful Canary Islands. Uh, Bitcoin's current price is $40,000 and some change up 1.47% in the last 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm gonna stop doing that. Well, maybe I won't. So, uh, Bitcoin's price has been doing this thing where it just sits at like 40,000 and change, uh, for the last, who knows how long it dipped down to 39 or so. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk about price a little bit later on. Uh, today's topics, we have the Bitcoiners Guide Tip of the Week. We brought it back, sponsored by nobody. Uh, so we're still waiting on a sponsor for that. Maybe mfmerch.com could sponsor that one one of these days. And uh, we're going to get into the news of last week. Uh, last, last week, the CPI came out. We know it's kind of old news already. Uh, there's also, um, apparently Bitcoiners are psychopaths. So we're going to dive into why that is true or not true. And, uh, we're going to get in a few more things as well. Maybe we'll talk about, uh, Elon Musk buying Twitter food, 
food shortages on the rise, uh, Jack Dorsey's NFT and uh, Ethereum getting pushed back and why those things matter in the world of Bitcoin. So with no further ado, let's get into the Bitcoiners guide tip of the week. This week, I wanted to talk about something that uh, that had been on my mind and something, you know, if, you know, if Marcus's wife is listening and, uh, and, you know, I'm sure she wants us to explain things just like I want us to explain things. Uh, something that we talk about all the time in Bitcoiner jargon is high time preference and low time preference. So traditionally, um, in economics, there's something called the time value of money. And that's, then that's just traditional time preference. I remember taking a class uh, called corporate finance in college, where they spoke about time value of money. And essentially, what it comes down to is in a, in a system like the dollar, uh, where the dollar uh, has inflation, uh, year over year, there's always inflation, there will always be more money printed. And normally, the, the Federal Reserve, the Central Bank of the United States, tries to keep inflation. They have a target of about 2% per year. And uh, so the time value of money, all it means is, is money now is worth more than money later. Or in other words, your dollar can buy you more goods and services now than it will later. And that's in an inflationary environment where, you're, where prices continue to go up. So that's, that's the traditional term, the traditional definition, if you're an economist, on what time value of money is. Bringing that back to, okay, well, what does that mean to me uh, like as a person um, or even in Bitcoin? In Bitcoin, we talk about high time preference versus low time preference. And when we talk about that, normally, um, High time preference are those buys that's like you see something, you have to buy it, you want to buy it, you want it right now, you need it now. Low time preference is kind of like putting something off for later. You really want it, but you'll do that sacrifice. So kind of like a general definition would be uh, if you're high time preference, um, you don't really sacrifice, you don't delay gratification, um, you're kind of just tossed around by whatever your desires may be. Now, if you have low time preference, that's more of like a seasoned veteran, someone who understands, uh, you know, I don't need to buy this right now, uh, that I have more, more self-control. I delay gratification now for something better or for more money in the future. Um, and that's kind of what long-term investing would be. And in terms of Bitcoin, it's always great to have low time preference because if you have high time preference, Bitcoin can be very volatile. It can drop um, and you might panic sell or it might go up and you could think, oh, I'm this amazing, smart person and really just have that low time preference, stay even keel and, uh, and stay on it. Um, an example of low time of high time preference versus low time preference uh, in investing, which I wanted to cover this. And in Bitcoin, a lot of times people say like, win moon, win Lambo. Uh, and so I thought of this example, imagine uh, you had $500,000 uh, 
and you wanted to buy a $500,000 Lamborghini, uh, if your high time preference, what you'll do is you'll take that $500,000 and you will buy that Lamborghini right here, right now. You go buy it. Um, but in 10 years from now, uh, the price of that car more than likely is going to be a lot less uh, because, I mean, historically, when you buy a car new and you take it off a lot, uh, it loses a ton of value and you put miles on it and all this stuff. So you lose a lot of the money that you put in. You end up with a car that's less than $500,000, even though you still have that Lambo. It's a 10-year-old Lambo and you have less than $500,000. But say you put that money, say you bought a property for two to $3 million with, with a down payment of $500,000 and you were making, just to make it easy, you were making $50,000 a year on this property, you're netting $50,000 a year on this property. Um, well, over the course of 10 years, you could save up $500,000 and then go and buy yourself a Lamborghini from passive income. And then you still have your $500,000 in real estate and it's probably grown since then. Plus you have your Lamborghini and you didn't spend all your money. So that's kind of an example of high time preference versus low time preference. And, uh, and in the Bitcoin world, it's super important to make that flip, make that switch to, to think more in a low time preferenced way. Uh, Marcus, when, when you're thinking about Bitcoin, uh, how do you kind of wrap your mind around high time preference versus low time preference? Yeah, good question. Um... You know, like even even before Bitcoin, you know, if you were thinking about, you know, like the the way interest compounds. So if you have like, for instance, like a savings plan towards your pension, and maybe you're saving like three thousand euros a year, and you calculate with like a modest four to like seven percent interest, you know, or return that you can make a year. Yeah. Then in the beginning, it'll go really slow, right? You're really like, oh my god, only not really adding up to much how am i ever going to pension from all of this but then like by year 40 you know then the increments start really going because it's an exponential curve so in the beginning it seems to go really slow you need to have that low time preference you know being able to postpone stuff towards later because you know then it's going to pay off so even you know that's just basic uh, you know how, how, how interest compounds over time the the greatest effects are you know or the greatest results you'll get them as, as the, the longer you wait and with bitcoin it's it's no different uh, it's just a little more extreme because the, the the returns are a lot higher yeah yeah it's and it's kind of crazy just what you're saying right you know a lot of people ask themselves like am i late to bitcoin and i forget who i was talking to uh I was, I was talking to someone, maybe one of the Bitcoiners, I was just in France and I was talking to one of those, one of those guys. And I think he was saying that he got in to Bitcoin in 2013. And I think even he was like, oh, I thought I was late to Bitcoin then. And so it's just funny how everyone thinks that they're late to Bitcoin when they first get in to Bitcoin, they first start buying. Um, and then if you've bought and you've held for four years or so, then you don't, you're like, wow, I actually wasn't late. I was early. And then you think, well, even now I'm still early as I'm buying. I'm still early to Bitcoin um, because there's just not, it, there's just not that much 
there's not that many people that understand what Bitcoin is. There's not that many orange-pilled people out there. And so as, as the people get orange-pilled, as they understand what the current system of the dollar is and how, that, how inflation is time theft, uh, and then they move over to a better system, uh, which is Bitcoin, uh, then uh, gradually and sudden, then suddenly uh, we move from being early to being late. So uh, we're still early in Bitcoin, but as you invest now or as you save your money in Bitcoin now, uh, then, then as, time, as the time moves on, you realize, wow, those buys that I was making back in 2022, uh, those are really paying off for me in 2030, you know? Those are really paying off for me in 2040. And so that's the whole point of, of keeping your time preference low. That's the way it is. I was here in the meantime looking for this tweet because you mentioned uh, uh, people saying they always feel like they're in late. Yeah. Um, there were two great tweets I saw about that today. One was uh, Adam Back. Who taught her? He wrote a post on Reddit saying how he needs to get out of being a noob to the Twitter, to the Bitcoin space. And they had another guy, I can't find a tweet right now, but it basically came down to, I don't know if it was like 2011 or 2013. He was like, oh, I only have 600 Bitcoins. <laughs> <laughs> and I got them all this this past week through through mining. I'm so late to this. I'll buy some more later. <laughs> Bitcoin. Yeah, it's only six hundred. Yeah. yeah, and um, if you, if you realize that at some point, right, like in uh, like the, the last couple of blocks, right now we're mining uh, six point two five Bitcoin per block. So for every ten minutes, six point two five Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. last uh, in like about a hundred years, we're going to be mining just mere sats per block. You know, yes. it'll just be like fifty sats, twenty-five sats. Be crazy. And it'll still be economical for it'll still be profitable for the for the miners. And yeah. so, say saying then, if you're a whole coiner, that you have a hundred million sats, that will be insane to a lot of people. Exactly, and and that's what's interesting is. You know the total addressable market of bitcoin and you and i were talking about this before before we started recording is the whole world every single person in the world and so when you have 8 billion people living here 21 million bitcoin and bitcoin's only sitting at forty thousand and some change right now it's like if you just started stacking today you might be able to stack full coin depending on what your income is how much you can save and you know how much you could really try to stack hard, um, you might be able to get a whole Bitcoin. And that would be insane because there's only going to be 21 million Bitcoin and there's, and there's 8 billion people. So it was like, it was never meant that every, there was no way that everyone would be able to have one whole Bitcoin. Uh, but if you can get into it now, when it's still early, uh, you have that chance. And that's what's, that's what's great about getting this information uh getting it now before uh before the whole world finds out about it because once people really start to understand it uh the run on bitcoin is going to be insane yeah we were running the numbers for a little bit right and um if you look at like the total amount of like uh utxos or unspent transaction outputs which are which are basically uh, 
the transaction. I hate to say that that way, like addresses on the blockchain. Yeah. There's like 81 and a half million of those on chain. So we know that there's no more than 81 and a half million persons um, using the blockchain that are actually holding Bitcoin in a, uh, you know, on-chain wallet. So it's not counting the, the hundreds of millions of people who own some form of crypto and are just have an account with their exchange and leaving their, leaving their assets there with exchange. Now, why do you need to use the on-chain wallets? It's because only then you are using Bitcoin the way it was designed. You have to take control of your own keys because the minute you give somebody else custody of your, your coin, then there's room for them to start manipulating, right? So they can start defrauding you saying that, yeah, yeah, we're holding your Bitcoin, but actually they're not holding. And this could start fractional reserve lending or rehypothecating, another one of those terms, look it up. But basically you don't want that. You want to be sure that that Bitcoin that you own, or at least you think you own it, you really own it. And the only way you can do that is by sending it to an on-chain wallet, verifying it ideally through the Block Explorer, even better through your own node, but make sure you get your Bitcoin on an, uh, on an on-chain address of which you control the 12 or 24 words being your key. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's super important. You never know what these what these exchanges can do to your Bitcoin. Uh, you never know when one of these exchanges can just go bust like Mt. Gox. And I mean, obviously, uh, it's, it's a little bit different times now than it was in 2013 when Mt. Gox uh, ended up just uh, going kaput. But uh, you just don't know. That's the whole thing is the whole thing about Bitcoin is don't trust, verify. So there's no reason to trust uh, an exchange if you don't have to. And you don't have another, to. Another reason, right? I mean, imagine you have like 10 million, some random exchange has 10 million users. Yes. Right? Then that exchange becomes this highly centralized honeypot for, for attackers, right? Now yes. there's this one fatal point if they can hack that and compromise one of the workers who might have access to to keys or to funds then that's the central point if those 10 million people were actually all holding their own coins then the only way to get the funds of those 10 million people is to hack all 10 million people of them so a lot harder yeah that's that's what makes bitcoin so secure you know get your keys off an exchange yeah. for your own safety and for the security of uh, the money of the future exactly become your own bank get, hold your own keys run your own node uh and those are things that as you learn what bitcoin is um it's it seems intimidating it's not that intimidating once you really do it um and it's actually pretty empowering once you start uh, holding your own keys and yeah. you become your own bank and you have control over your wealth. No one can censor your transactions. No one can censor your payments. Um, and no one can stop them. No, they're immutable. It's truly that's, that's, that's like a super practical question. Right? And I think about this a lot because, you know, Bitcoin isn't a company. It doesn't have a CEO. It doesn't yeah. have a product department. It doesn't have a marketing department. If it would, you know, there would be a big focus on, all right, we've got to, you know, like, um, make sure that people can onboard very easily. But now we've got this wide range. We tell people they need to self-custody, get a, get a wallet. 
And then I got a question on Twitter, like, but I want to know how. And then I'm like, okay, well, there's a lot of different wallets. So, you know, you've got the hardware wallets, you've got the mobile wallets. You can even do like a paper wallet if you want. <laughs> there's so many options. And because there's not a company who's saying, look, this is our product, use this. No, there's like this open source, you know, there's all kind of open source development, different types of wallets. So, you know, what do you explain to the people if they ask you, all right, how do I set up an, uh, an on-chain wallet? You know, because there's so many wallets you can point them to. Yeah, I mean, you could go to- I basically sent some people to BTC sessions or to Armand Parman, you know, they have like good tutorials on different wallets. And, and they are trusted sources, you know, that, that won't send you into scammy routes. So it yeah. is tough. It is yeah, tough. you know, there's there's blue wallet that people could use on their phone. Um, I know, I think Pedro- There's a lot. Wallet of Satoshi, CBD, Sparrow for, yeah. for online. Also yeah, and some of these wallets are what are considered hot wallets too, right? Like if you keep some Bitcoin on your phone, that's that could be like in wallet of Satoshi that could be considered somewhat of a hot wallet because it's still got access to the internet. I know Ar Armin the Parman, he's a big fan of what are called air gapped wallets, which are no access to the internet, never touch the internet. And so those air gapped wallets are, uh, you know, those are trust minimized where it's like, okay, you don't have to trust, you just ver you verify and, uh, and you can broadcast your transactions uh, and still and still use your Bitcoin uh, without having to worry if someone else is uh, is accessing your coins or your, or your keys. You know, so there's tons of different ways that you can store it. Right. I agree. I think looking at Arm of the Parman's got a lot of good stuff. And so does BTC Sessions. Yeah. And it is pretty magical. You know, if you if you only keep it on an exchange. And, you know, start out small, just make like, uh, like download the blue wallet on your phone. For example, you create a wallet, you generate the QR code to receive funds on, you use that QR code from your exchange to send yourself some, some Bitcoin, you know, and just send like $5 or $10, you know, like don't go crazy. You know, it's, it's learning money to see your first transaction. And then you actually see it show up in your wallet. Then the next exercise that's fun to do is now just uninstall that app, delete it, obviously, after you've backed up your wallet with your 12 or 24 words, and then try reinstalling it on a different phone or on the same phone or with a different wallet, put in those uh, 12 or 24 words again and magically watch your Bitcoin reappear. I mean, that, that gives you a lot of self-confidence that yes, this stuff really works, you know, and to, to grasp it a little bit more conceptually, like how does sending and receiving Bitcoin actually works with these QR codes. And just by doing it is usually the easiest way for people to, to feel it and to get it. And it goes like, uh-huh, this, yeah. this is kind of cool, yeah. Yeah, and again, like this stuff sounds technical. It sounds really uh, overwhelming. It's not, this is, uh, once you just do it, or if you have someone that can help you, or you don't even need someone around, like you can literally look up these tutorials. BTC Sessions does all this stuff on YouTube. Um, he's super good. And I, those two guys honestly have written articles or done tutorials on YouTube about ton of this, a ton of this stuff. I know Matt O'Dell has a lot of resources as well. Um, so it's, it's, it seems overwhelming because it's just something different. Normally you're used to trusting your bank, 
or having a, you know, your email password, your password sent to your email, you forget it, then, then this trusted third party will send you a new password or will send you a link to create a new password that you forgot. Um, your keys don't work that way. Your keys work. You need to have personal responsibility. You become your own bank. But in becoming your own bank, yes, there's more personal responsibility, but also at the same time, it's more empowering because no one can devalue your money. No one can inflate away your wealth. No one can stop you from making a transaction. It's all peer-to-peer. -peer. There's no centralized third party that can stop you. You are the one that makes those transactions. And there's not a thing that any government, that any CEO, that any big business, that any big pharma can do to stop you. And that's what makes it so empowering. Making these on-chain transactions, they feel pretty good. And, uh, and there's, not, there's not many things that are quite like that. Yeah, absolutely. And a government can easily shut down your exchange if, uh, if they give the order. So take it off there. Make sure nobody can steal that stuff away from you. Exactly. All right. So uh, that is the Bitcoiners Guide Tip of the Week, sponsored by nobody. And uh, But that's high time preference versus low time preference. And we went on a long route. But uh, keep your time preference low. Keep your stacking goals high, everybody. Uh, what's, what's been like your most low time preference uh, thing you did? My most low time preference thing I've ever done? It's probably something I still haven't done yet. Ooh, that's a great answer. <laughs> dying, dying has been the most low time preference thing I've ever done, son. <laughs> no, I don't know. Uh, that would mean that I'd want to die. So I don't, I don't want to die. Uh, I don't know. The most low time preference thing. I, I, I meant like stacking, stacking sets. I was I was pretty proud of the the moment when I like sold my uh, my car, which I was sort of proud of. You know, I uh, owned it outright. I didn't have any loans for it, but I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna sell this thing and buy Bitcoin with it and buy back a really small uh, clunky car for it. I like that. Out really well. I guess I, last year I did sell my house and then I bought Bitcoin with it, and I bought Bitcoin when it was at fifty thousand. So that's a real low time preference move. Cause that's just chilling. So are you, are you DCAing that or did you just like smash by that? Uh... Friar Hass would be mad. Let's put it that way. I did not DCA. I don't know how to DCA. I just smashed by. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're always feeling the pressure of like, it might jump to a hundred K. Yes. I get, I get money. I turn it into Bitcoin. That's just how it works with me. But, uh, yeah. and for everyone listening, you don't need to sell your house uh you may need to sell your chairs to buy bitcoin but uh i i was able to sell my house because i ended up coming back to europe to play basketball so i didn't need my house um, but most people you need a place to live so don't go uh, you don't have to go as crazy as what i did right away <laughs> you can take your time uh, and just buy off of what you're saving to take out loans and buy bitcoin with a loan <laughs> yeah i don't know <laughs> it's a scary move you just don't know what bitcoin's gonna do don't no, uh, don't don't listen to us i mean nope. <laughs> obviously nope. 
everybody's situation is different and definitely like don't take on too much leverage especially if you can get like liquidated and end up with nothing right so if you go on exchange and you say i'm gonna i'm gonna put on leverage that's so dangerous because you can get liquidated and literally lose everything everything if you if you take out like a long-term loan you know at an interesting uh, interest rate uh, that you know you can cover that interest rate for the duration of that long term, then then it sounds like a pretty good idea to to loan some money and buy some Bitcoin with it. But yeah, yeah, you got to. Um, if it's a short term loan and you gotta you gotta make good on your debt in, in short term. I mean, Bitcoin can go down in the, in the short term, and you might end up bringing yourselves into more trouble. So yeah, there's definitely like, wouldn't recommend that. Like in 2021, for example, there's a ton of people who are taking out loans. Or I don't know if there's a ton of people, but there's definitely people who are taking out loans because everyone was saying Bitcoin's going to at least 100,000. It might be going, we all think it's going to 300,000. That's where Plan B's model was headed towards. And then it topped out at 69K, right? So that's like the risk you run is you, you think you're going to, you're going to get this loan out, you're going to get this credit card, and then you're going to pay it all back. Uh, well, if if the price does something unexpected, which is very normal, like expect the unexpected when it comes to Bitcoin's price. So when it does something that you don't expect, which you should expect, then that's when you get screwed. So that's why that's why we say, you know, don't don't trade the corn. Don't short the corn and don't sell the corn. Just buy it, hodl, stack more. You can't get liquidated. You can't get margin called uh, if you're not leveraged. If you just hold your Bitcoin and you hold your keys, no one can take that Bitcoin away from you. That's yours. But if you are over leveraged and the price moves in a different direction than what you think it was, uh, then you can get margin called and they can take all your money. So that's why... Uh, that's why we say uh, just stack and hodl and stay humble. Short term, it's gambling. Long term, it's a short thing, in my opinion. Yes, agreed. So let's get into the news of the week. This past week, CPI in the United States of America, the Consumer Price Index, has inflation at 8.5%. Another new all-time high <laughs> so it's like we're always hitting these new all-time highs with inflation if you look at the inflation rate if you calculate it according to the 1980 methodology the inf the cpi would be 19.5 percent so uh not only is cpi high at 8.5 percent it actually is probably higher uh would be around 19.5 percent uh, but those official numbers, you know, they keep they keep taking things out of the basket of goods and services to make the number not seem as high. Uh, and Marcus, I think we, we were just doing the math right before this about how much money you would lose after what was it eight years or ten years if if inflation stays at eight point five percent, and that's and that's assuming right because as most Bitcoiners we would say real inflation is more along the lines of what that inflation rate, what the, like the calculation of 1980. Um, we would say real inflation is higher than CPI, but just supposing that it's the official numbers of CPI, you know, how long does it take for us to lose our money 
or 50% of our money if CPI is at 8.5%? Yeah, 8.5%, then it's uh, within eight years that you, you've lost more than half of your purchasing power. <laughs> eight years to lose half of your purchasing power. And, uh, and I think that's, you know, it's a lot of people that look at, oh, the inflation is this number. But then when you put it like that, you know, in eight years, so by 20, we're in 2022, by 2030, if I give all my wealth in the dollar, I would lose half of my purchasing power. Now, imagine if you put your money into something that doesn't inflate away, Bitcoin, and imagine what Bitcoin's price will be uh, in dollars in the year 2030, uh, much higher than losing half of your half of your wealth. Yeah, another way of looking at it, right, is like if the CPI or inflation is 8.5%, and let's say you got a raise of 5%. I mean, who gets a raise of 5% every year? Every yeah. year? I, I don't know many people that do. But even if you get a raise of 5%, Bitcoiners. you're still losing out at the end of the year. Another, You're still losing 3.5%. The inflation is 8.5%. So you're going backwards. You, even though you get a raise of 5%, your, your earning power is going down every year. And um, people are going to feel it. People are already feeling it. I mean, the, the gas prices at the pump are really high. Food prices are going up. They're going to go up even higher. Um, you know, and the, the war in Ukraine is obviously a factor in this. But, you know, we've seen in the past two years an incredible amount of money being printed. So we've been banging this drum for like the past two years that inflation is going to go out of control. Now it's here. They're yeah. blaming it on uh, on Ukraine. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's happening. I saw Pakistan today as well. They couldn't, uh, they had to cut power in certain areas of the country because they couldn't afford to buy more coal to burn for their generators. So we're seeing it happen. We're going to get energy shortages, um, food shortages in, in different parts of the world. So, yeah, there's a lot of, yeah, it's already happening. You know, it's probably going to get more ugly than what we're seeing right now. Yeah. And, and as those food shortages happen, it's just kind of a feedback loop. It just feeds right into more inflation and then more inflation leads into more food shortages and more disruption disruptions in the supply chain. Uh, you know, and the biggest thing right now is the White House is calling it Putin's price pump uh, because it's an election year, uh, you know, for in 2022, um, not a presidential election year. Uh, but just all these things are being said, and it just seems like a lot of people that don't want to take the blame and don't want to say, you know, maybe we as a government, uh, we were practicing a, you know, we did a bad practice of monetary policy over the last few years. Uh, we printed a lot of money and we lowered the interest rate to zero, and uh, and then we didn't really take into account who we give that money to. We're just giving the money out willy-nilly. And this is what happens when you give the money out like that. Uh, you, you get inflation. Uh, and so uh, it's kind of funny how they try to pin it on, on Putin. Obviously, I'm not saying that, you know, obviously that war has a part in inflation. You know, everything has a part in what's going on with the inflation. Um, but I wouldn't say it's the main driver of it. 
it, it could be, you know, one of those straws at the end of the line that's really pushing inflation higher. And, uh, you know, you just look at something uh, like the inflation rate happening. And uh, the only question I have is currently we're looking at uh, treasury bonds are about to hit 3%, a 3% yield. And normally as rates go up, so treasury bonds have been down to like 1%. And now they're making their way back up. And they're going up to about the 10-year treasury is almost at 3%. And so normally as treasuries go up, that's supposed to drive inflation down. It has an inverse relationship. Uh, but these treasury rates are going up and inflation is going up at the same time. Uh, so it's making me think that the Federal Reserve is going to say, well, if, if, we're not, if we're not helping out with these treasury rates going up, inflation is still going up, then maybe they're just going to let this peak happen and then they're going to drop the interest rates back down. And as they drop those interest rates back down, then inflation is going to run even hotter. Uh, so this is something that would be really interesting to watch. I know a lot of Bitcoiners, a lot of people are saying that inflation has peaked. It's going to drop now. Uh, it's just hard for me to see how, uh, how we make in, you know, how with what we're dealing with right now, how does inflation peak and how do we drop it down? I don't know if you have any thoughts on, on how the Fed or how anyone else could make inflation drop from where we are. Yeah, honestly, I I don't. I think for the listeners, you know what what really helped me is just following some key accounts on Twitter, and I really can recommend like Preston Fish, Luke yes. Roman, Lynn Alden, um, uh, Greg Foss, even you know like they're 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 the they're the accounts and Larry, Larry <laughs> that really that really understand this 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 part of the macroeconomic uh, yeah. side of this and yeah. If you want to know more, I definitely recommend following them and uh, <laughs> learn as you go. We're shilling, we're shilling still, all the Bitcoiners right doing. now. We're yeah. shilling all the Bitcoiners today. Yeah, I just, I just pretend, I just listen to what they're saying. I try to make sense of it, and uh, then I try to make a joke about it or me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, what happened with Jack Dorsey? Yeah, what do well, well just just maybe one more point on this okay. thing is that you know like the rest of the world has uh, you were talking about the bonds but you know like german bonds the yields are like negative in negative territory for like years already right yeah the us has never gone negative but i heard that they're like preparing this bill now that <laughs> that they can go negative you know and um and who I, I'm not sure who mentioned it, but it was like, yeah, Bitcoin is not uh, doesn't comply with this negative interest rate theory because it's impossible on Bitcoin or something. So that was pretty funny. I mean, I actually do remember. I don't know if it was like 2013 or 2015 when like Germany went negative for the first time, and yeah, they were saying in the U.S., no, 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 this is ridiculous. You know, <laughs> like, could never go negative here in the U.S. And now they're actually preparing, you know, with central bank digital currencies that they can deal with like negative rates. So yeah, it kind of shows how far at the end of the line we really are here. I mean, I have no idea, obviously. I mean, this is like unprecedented territory, but it really, 
I really hate being like somebody that says, oh, the end of the world is near, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. like doomsday is upon us. But oh, if you look at all these graphs, you know, it, like we're, we're basically at like the zero level. So let's, let's see what happens. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's so clear when, when interest rates can't go above zero without the whole market going into a frenzy or when we're talking about going into negative interest rates, which basically means for a bank to hold your money, you have to pay the bank to hold your money. So it's, they're charging you as you as they hold your money, or if you buy a bond, uh, then you have to pay them to hold your money. That is what's insane about a negative interest rate. And that's what makes you think, okay, if interest rates go negative, it's just like, those are the signs of a fraying currency. Those are the signs of a currency that's experiencing major pains and, uh, and is going through something that, that may end up in hyperinflation. And you know, thank goodness we have Bitcoin because it is the, the exit from the system. It's the exit from, from inflation. There, you know, without Bitcoin, we would be the only thing we could go into would be gold and gold is just papered over so much that you don't even get to see the real inflation in the gold. And then maybe you'd be stuck in real estate or you would have uh, stocks that you could go into. But even, even those things are in, in more or less terms, uh, they're all priced in fiat, they're all priced in dollars and in essence are derivatives of the dollar. And as we make this transition to a Bitcoin, a brighter future, bright orange future, then we can actually uh, see things repriced in a way in a way that they're not manipulated, and repriced in Bitcoin. Which Bitcoin, there's no excess printing. You can't press a button to print more, and so you actually have to mine it. You have to use power to and energy to actually get Bitcoin. You have to work for it. And uh, when you have to work for your money, then that money will price things correctly. And that's what I'm very excited to see is the great repricing of real estate and stocks and bonds and everything in Bitcoin. That'll be a fun day. Yeah, let's see. <laughs> that will be a fun day if you're holding Bitcoin. At least. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy, right? Like we talk about like, oh, inflation is coming and everything's going to like get wrecked. But what does it actually look like? I mean, a lot of people often talk like a melt up, right? I mean, yeah, like, because the dollar or the euro or whatever fiat currency you're using is hyperinflating. Yeah. Means that prices of everything just go up. So your stocks go up in dollar terms you know like your house prices go up in dollar terms yeah so you think you're getting rich right everybody feels like you're getting rich but what's actually happening is that the dollar value is just being completely destroyed so it's like whoa what's happening here and then when you put something scarce against it like bitcoin then you're going to realize that that is a better thing to, to price things in yeah and and then you'll actually notice that prices denominated in Bitcoin are actually going down instead of going up when you're looking at it in dollar terms. 
anyway, it's a little bit confusing, but um, yeah, isn't yeah, it kind of weird? Isn't it kind of weird? Like you watch your price, like the house, your the price of your house go up in dollars, but then you're watching it go down in Bitcoin. Isn't that like it's such like a weird concept to think about? Yeah, but that's literally what what's going to happen. Get prepared. <laughs> Get prepared, everybody. It's going to be mind-blowing. Um, okay. So what happened with Jack Dorsey's NFT? Oh, yeah. That was, that was some funny news. And um, All right. So NFT, right? Do we have to explain what an NFT is? Non-fungible token. It's basically... Um, <laughs> a JPEG. Oh, my God. <laughs> right click say all right. all right to be to be completely fair right like somebody somebody said it like this like a nft is a humble brag so it's basically a database right where it's not necessarily like a banana in a database is just a representation of a banana in a database right like the, the zeros and ones or the letters that say banana in the database is not actually a banana, banana. right it's just yeah. It just, it's a representation of the physical banana. If yeah. you have something yeah. like an online game, right? Something yes. that is natively digital, then actually like Bitcoin, which also natively digital, you can actually have something digital live as an NFT in, in a database. But however, you, you need to be aware that somebody is controlling that database, right? Yes. So even though they say it's decentralized, I mean, look at, you know, like, um, What's open the name of like MetaMask? Open, open, yeah, OpenSea open that are running on Ethereum, you know, and they literally shut off access and their wallets to people in Iran and Russia. So how decentralized is this if, if you can still be like shut off from this system? So, you know, it might as well just be a normal <laughs> database instead of some kind of blockchain database because... If well, it's still layer. controlled centrally, then there's no real benefit for using a blockchain. But well, aren't, aren't there layers that, to decentralization, Marcus? Aren't there layers to decentralization? There's levels to that, right? Yeah, it's not it's <laughs> not like a zero or one, you know, but the minute you do have a central power can just like like delete or, or block users, then it's simply just not decentralized, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's pretty close to being like but yeah, uh, this NFT, I mean, obviously a lot of new people have no idea about decentralization and, you know, is it really immutable? <laughs> or is it really uncensorable? You know, <laughs> is it really that decentralized? Um, but we had this craze in the past two years and um, Jack Dorsey, he made an NFT out of his first tweet, I believe it was. Yes and sold that tweet as an nft for let me get the numbers up on the screen here if you have it feel free to jump in 2.9 2.9 million that's right all right so he sold imagine that selling like a tweet for 2.9 million dollars so but somebody not, whoever not the tweet that, the, right, NFT right, right. the nft of that tweet right so okay. whoever bought that 
is now the one who says that he can claim, he or she can claim that um, that they own the NFT of Jack Dorsey's first tweet. Yes. What always gets me is that if there's some other blockchain that starts up <laughs> and they could now sell that right. same tweet on this other blockchain, right? Like, how does exactly. that work? So that's always a question I have. But anyway, it was it sold for be- $2.9 million, So it always makes you scratch you behind the head like, Am I missing something? <laughs> like, is this like the emperor that has no clothes on, or am I just crazy? But anyway, that tweet was sold for two point nine million. This past week, somebody tried to sell that NFT for forty eight million dollars. You know, that's that's almost like, you know, that's a pretty significant increase. But what happened? There was an auction, and the top bid was. $280, not $280,000, not $280 million, no, just plain old $280. <laughs> so <laughs> that NFT went from $2.9 million US dollars to $280. To zero. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, Jack Dorsey got his money from the sale. He, he, he used it for a good cause. Um, yeah, and the owner was left with uh, holding the bag. I think for $280, he should just hang on to it. Yeah. <laughs> have the bragging rights. <laughs> Doesn't make sense. But yeah, for all the NFT owners out there and investors out there, you know, like this should be a massive warning for you. Um, what have you just bought? Nothing. Any thoughts, Sean? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just a JPEG that, that's like a, it's like holding rights to a, it's like holding a signature of something that you're not even actually holding the NFT. Just like what you said, you're not holding a banana. You're holding the digital version of the banana. And it's, it's, uh, it's not Bitcoin. Whenever you tell someone that like, Oh yeah, I, you know, I study Bitcoin a lot or, you know, I really enjoy Bitcoin and learning about it. And then they'll be like, Oh, what about NFTs? <laughs> you know? And you're like, this they're not even close to each other not even the same thing but for some reason people want to group nfts into the bitcoin world and uh and they can try as much as they want and they can try with the altcoins but they're just cheap imitations that uh and that go away and it's fun to watch this guy you know maybe he has maybe 2.9 million was all of his wealth or maybe he's got a lot more money, you know? Honestly, I don't care. I think it's good that people can buy this stuff and watch their wealth waste away uh, because other people can learn from this mistake. And hopefully this guy learns from his mistake and, and maybe he'll, he'll rethink, uh, maybe there's really not that much that's world-changing in the NFT space because what is the issue in the first place the NFTs are solving? And I think that's the biggest thing is when people, when they, when they buy NFTs and they buy altcoins, they don't talk about them the same way that we talk about Bitcoin. When we talk about Bitcoin, we talk about the things that it can change, how it can, it can protect your wealth. It can give you more freedom individually. It can, uh, it can stop the inflation, um, all those things. But uh, when someone's buying an altcoin or an NFT, it's really about the massive gains. And that's the only thing that they talk about. So this is, it's, it's fun as a Bitcoiner 
to watch these things happen. And yeah, maybe I do feel a little bad for the guy, uh, but yeah. a fool and his money are soon departed. That is the old saying. <laughs> nice. I didn't know where I was. Yeah, and that, that brings us to that other point where uh, Ethereum announced that uh, their transition from proof of work to proof of stake is now pushed back uh, to Q3 of this year. Yes. Um, any thoughts there, Sean? I mean, cool. did you see this coming or? Well, of course we saw, we all <laughs> saw this coming. It's like the old, like, oh, it's a new one. What, I didn't what see was that. The original, what was the original 20, date they were supposed to go to proof of stake? Wasn't 2017. Like 2017 already. Marty's. So we're five years down the line and it's been five years of constant and they bring up like these very confusing, obfuscating, like yes. <laughs> word salads of like super Great. complex sharding, blah blah blah. And anyway, yeah, um, it's confused. But, it's confused your average Joes and your noobs that yeah. come in. Oh, we're gonna go to so they, gonna proof of stake. Yeah. We're, we're gonna be ESG compliant, and it's it's gonna totally wreck Ethereum to do that. But uh, so, um, what, do, what do you think is going to happen first? <laughs> is Ethereum going to go to proof of stake or do you think the SEC will approve a spot Bitcoin ETF? <laughs> Which one will happen first? I don't know. That's, that's, the big, that's the big question. I hope the SEC will approve a spot Bitcoin ETF, but I think neither of them are happy. No, I don't know. Grayscale keeps shouting on the rooftops that they're going to sue the SEC and they're like, we're going to have... Uh, SEC approved spot Bitcoin ETF. It's just a matter of when. It's like, okay, well, it's been a matter of when for the last five years as well. So, you know, like like the Winklevoss twins were saying back in 2017 as well that they were going to get a spot Bitcoin ETF. So all those things, it's like they're fun to talk about and speculate about. But until they're here, it's like no one knows really what's going to happen. Um, but it's, I don't know. What do you think is going to happen first? Um, yeah, it's a, I would have to go with the SEC approving the spot ETF before Ethereum going to proof of stake. I, yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Okay. Last, last item of news before we leave is the New York post recently came out with an article and uh, this one's been lighting on fire on Bitcoin Twitter. It's called Bitcoin fans are psychopaths who don't care about anyone. Study shows. So they did a study to find out if Bitcoiners were psychopaths. And let me read a little excerpt from there. It says the average Bitcoin investor is a calculating psychopath with an inflated ego, according to scientists. A team of experts recently surveyed more than 500 people to, to uncover the personality traits that are most common among crypto nuts. Wow, we're the psychopaths. They identified that many investors exhibit signs of the dark tetrad, a group of foreign savory traits made up of narcissism, Machiavellianism, psychopathy, and sadism in plain English, <laughs> English that means that are evil. evil exactly it means that dark tetrads 
have an inflated <laughs> sense of self-importance and derive pleasure from the pain of others. I guess I did say I like watching this guy lose his money in NFT. They also find it difficult to empathize with others and are sly and manipulative. So Bitcoiners are psychopaths. Don't listen to a word we say. Uh, who, who did the survey, uh, Sean? Who, who are these researchers? You know, you know better than I know. You're, you're, you're. No, I uh, don't. I read it. I read it a couple of days ago. Whatever. Wasn't it like some University of Massachusetts? Or the, it, it looked like it says the study lead author is Dr. D. Wang. Let me see where it was from. Maybe we'll we'll have to put that in the. And I'm not sure where where it was from originally. The article okay. was written by a guy named Harry Harry Petit. Um, either way. You know, if if you don't think if you think you've seen all the FUD, which I thought that we had seen all the FUD, this is something new uh, that Bitcoin fans are psychopaths. So just be be ready to be called anything and everything. Take it on the chin as a Bitcoiner. Eat the insults. Watch your money grow and watch the haters cope with every excuse possible. Like they'll literally say, now they're saying, well, okay, well, you might be making a lot of money on Bitcoin, but you're a psychopath. It's like, okay. Uh, the, way, the way I see it is like whoever they are, right? Yes. Somebody's funded this research. They're saying, look, we need some FUD. This thing is getting too popular. We need to keep people away from this thing. So how can we do that? let's commission a research that looks into Bitcoin <laughs> and puts them, uh, and you can literally buy these kinds of researches. And they're talking like just the labeling they're already using, like we interviewed 500 crypto nuts. You know, it's not even like crypto users or some yes. objective measure of what is a crypto user or what is a Bitcoin user. No, we're going to interview 500 crypto nuts. So it's a completely... Like a like biased survey, like, like from the get-go. They, they talk about Bitcoiners, but then in the methodology, they talk about that they surveyed, surveyed crypto nuts. Well, you know, like we haven't heard in the whole Bitcoin scene about this survey going around. Like who, who yes. were these 500 people they interviewed in the first place? And then, yeah, this whole qualification is just completely laughable, right? Because these 500 people, what else do these 500 people do? Do they also <laughs> read Newsweek, right? Then it's like, are like Newsweek readers now also like dark Tetrad users? Yeah, Readers, you know, like, come on, this is just pure, like a smear campaign and deserves a spot in the toilet, if you ask me. <laughs> so, yeah, this is one. Yeah. This is one to laugh about. This is one it's garbage. Yeah, you can call yourself a, a a psychopath now because the New York Times did it. So that's what I love about Bitcoin Twitter, right? Everybody just like leans into it. <laughs> you see like all the handles and the names of people on Twitter are changing to like big psychopath oh, Paris yeah. or you know, like plant psychopath or <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, just like how we love, how we embrace the, the the label Bitcoin maximalist, which was coined by I believe it was uh, Vitalik himself. You know, we just lean into it, and 
yeah, can't get this community down. Yeah, I mean, with this type of stuff, it's either you lean into it or you ignore it. You can't get upset when someone's calling you a psychopath when you're when you're just when you're out here trying to find a solution to the Ponzi scheme of fiat currency. It's like, all right, who's who's the real psychopath out here? So, uh, if anything, Bitcoiners are constantly warning uh, all other people of you know how not to get wrecked, how to be careful, you know how not to get screwed by the system, how not to lose money. Uh, how to live a more meaningful life so yeah definitely psychopath stuff exactly and like this is like i remember with the, with the trucker convoy uh trudeau was calling the truckers terrorists and all that stuff you know so it's like it, there's just a lot of different things that they're going to call us uh and you just have to be ready for it and you can't get that upset about it just take it on the chin laugh about it and uh, let them cope a little bit longer as they're trying to figure out what Bitcoin really is. Yeah. Nonetheless, it will have its effect, right? I mean, because people do scan headlines, right? If you're like not really into Bitcoin or into crypto and you're just like scanning the newspaper or the headlines, then you're like, oh, crypto people are like really greedy and, and nefarious people like oh yeah it's just this little thing that lands a little seed in your brain that your brain will memorize you don't read or you know like go through the whole article because you're not that interested anyway so yeah it does plant like all these negative associations you know with, with a lot of people so it is it is kind of upsetting but we'll get over it because the truth always wins in the long term so. yeah the more the more signal we put out as Bitcoiners, then uh, the less these lies really affect us. So, getting into the price talk, Marcus, did you turn off your auto DCA or what? Man, what's going on? Price is stuck at forty thousand. Uh, I'm blaming you. I don't know what you're doing yeah. up there in Holland. Seems like yeah, you're don't don't your blame problem. me. You know, like. Uh... I thought you. I no thought way. the whales. I my, thought my whales few, my, few, my few sets won't uh, won't won't make a ripple in, uh, in the price. Um, yeah, I've been hearing some talk about you know that it's like tax season that uh, people are having to sell some corn to pay off taxes. That that is a typical time. We also just had the Bitcoin conference, so you know traditionally they also say that you know all the Bitcoin whales that go to the conference they uh, stack a little less after they get their credit card bill from uh, their trip to the to the conference, you know, they had spent some money on, uh, on the bar hotels, flights, bar tabs, and uh, other forms of entertainment and, uh, and food. So who knows, there might be something to that. I believe there's also some, um, some uh, Wall Street wisdom that sell, says something like, sell your winners in May or something, because, by the end of May, it's always like this big turmoil in the in the general market sentiment. Who knows, right? These are all things that are more like proverbial than than that there's any truth to them. Um, yeah, what are your thoughts, Sean? Uh, you know, I I just don't know if I can trust Bitcoin's price anymore, and uh, <laughs> I'm just so disillusioned by what it's doing. Uh, no, I'm still bullish. 
I'm still bull. I don't care what the price is doing in the short term, do you real? And uh, I just look at it, like I always say every week, these are cheap stacks, cheap sats to stack. And uh, yeah, probably there are some people out there selling some Bitcoin because they went to the conference, bought a little bit too much. Um, that's their that's their loss and our gain. And uh, there's probably some other people that uh, that they're selling the winners to buy the losers, otherwise known as diversification. Again, their loss and our win. Uh, we'll pick up those cheap sats for them, put them in cold storage for the next uh, 100 years, and uh, pass those on to our generations. The but yeah, I would say the price sitting around where it is. This is just. It just just gives me such like the those feelings of the price being around nine thousand a few years back. What was that? 2018, 2019, 2019. and uh, you know it just kept sitting there at nine thousand for the longest time. And maybe it would pump up above nine thousand, or pump back below, or drop back below, and doing the same thing now. Sometimes it'll pop up to forty five, and then other times it'll go down to thirty eight, and uh, this is just showing like this is the next floor. This is kind of like a floor that's happening. Um, and the longer it's kind of see it like a like a coil that's slowly like yes. gaining its energy, you know, and like yeah. a spring that's about to just like spring back up. Yep. The longer this thing coils down and coils down into that 40k range, then it just pops even stronger because it's just also building that I, floor level. Yeah. Also, I just see that um, if you look at the fear and greed index, right, uh, that which shows like uh, the market sentiment of like uh, Bitcoin holders and crypto holders, you know, are they afraid? Are they getting greedy? Last week, we already had fear in the market. And now this week, we're at extreme fear. <laughs> those are usually the best times to buy i mean it might go down a little bit more but you know in hindsight you always want to you know start stacking just a little bit harder when we go into the extreme fear territory because after extreme fear comes extreme greed so yeah what's looking what's, forward to seeing it flip back to the other side what's crazy is like how this is just goes back to the beginning high time preference versus low time preference it's just pretty amazing to me like if you have a low time preference mindset, not only do you think about things in the future, but you also look backwards, right? You'll take this back like four or five years and you go, wow, Bitcoin, you know, five years ago was like at $1,500 or four years ago, you know, in 20, that was 2018. I'm not sure what it was around, but probably around 6,000 or so dollars. So, but so you think, okay, four years ago, five years ago, the price that it's jumped up to has been a big jump. But people look at it from a year ago and they go, a year ago, it was sitting in the 50,000 range. And now it's sitting in the 40,000 range. And people just like, they, it's really hard for people to, to look at like the long, like to zoom out. But as you zoom, but if you, it's like the high time preference also, this like the news and the media looking at Bitcoin the way they do in the high time preference viewpoint of, wow, it's sitting at 40,000. That actually 
helps Bitcoin as well, in my mind, because now people look at a $40,000 Bitcoin and that's just normalized. Like, it's not like, oh, wow. Like if you zoom out, you go, wow, $40,000, that's a big price job. That's a big price for Bitcoin if you zoom out. But if, you, if you're zoomed in, you go, wow, this is, this is a low price for Bitcoin, you know? And so if you look yeah. at it that way, then it's like, well, this is the four level for Bitcoin and this thing is going to go up again. We all know it's going to go up. So this is a great time to, to buy, which you will hear me say, it's always a great time to buy. So I'll always figure a way to make it sound good to buy Bitcoin. But this is really a good time to buy Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. All I can think of is like, it's just not if but when Bitcoin is going to go to a million dollars and way beyond, right? It's going to go to yeah. 10 million, 100 million because dollars are just infinite. But, you know, the, the, the timing part of it is hard. I mean, if it, if you know it's going to go over like a million dollars, then what the hell is forty thousand dollars, yeah. thirty five thousand dollars, or forty five thousand dollars? Just buy as much as you can, you know. Make a plan how you can save a little bit more every month, so you can buy just a little bit more Bitcoin every month because it's going to pay back like literally a hundredfold in, in in X amount of years. So it's a no brainer. Yes, get that coin. Yes, sir. Stack sat, stay humble. <laughs> Perfect. Well, that that wraps up for today's episode. Before we leave, uh, we want to mention: come watch the Meme Factory podcast this Thursday at seven thirty p.m. live. We have Bitcoin Becca, the woman who goes the hardest on Bitcoin Twitter. Do not miss this episode. Also, remember what you see here, what you hear here, when you leave here, don't just let it stay here, here, here. Please share uh, our episode. If you learned something today or if you found this information helpful or entertaining, help us out, like and subscribe, leave a review, leave a comment. Uh, let us know what you liked, what you didn't like, what you hated. We want to know. As for Bitcoiners Guide, episode eight from Play Marcus and Big Sean, we're over now. Peace. Later. Much love.